Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanick with Figured Out Baseball. Got a really good Figured Out Baseball podcast for you today. We're being joined on the podcast by Mike Deegan. He is currently the head coach at Denison University, a very, very successful Division III program in Granville, Ohio. I'll give you a quick background on Coach Deegan before we jump into questions with him. He uh, Going into 2022, this will be his 10th season as the head coach at Denison. He's a 2001 graduate from Marietta College. Uh, one of the most, if not the most successful, historical Division Three programs in the country, uh, Division Three program in Marietta, Ohio. While he was there, he was a two-time all-conference player, and uh, he was a coach there as well. From the springs of 2004 through 2012, he was an assistant coach at Marietta. While he was there, the team Marietta won three national championships in his nine seasons. Pretty incredible. They won the national championship in 2006. 2011 where they won 47 games and 2012 where they won 48 games pretty unbelievable numbers there while he was at Marietta the team finished 326 and 111 overall in nine years only only 111 losses in nine years pretty incredible 2013 spring of 2013 he was named the head coach at Denison we'll fast forward to get some highlights here from some recent seasons in 2017 the team finished 29 and 12 they were ranked most of the year in the top 25 in Division Three baseball. First time that they've been ranked in the top 25 since 2004. The following season, 2018, the team set a new school record by winning 32 games. They advanced to the NCAA Regional Tournament for the first time in school history. Uh, coach Deegan that year was named Conference Coach of the Year. He also coached the Conference Player of the Year and Pitcher of the Year in 2018, as well as one All-American, only the sixth All-American in program history. In 2019, the team finished 39-9, and setting another new school record for wins. The team advanced to the NCAA Regional Tournament again in 2019. They won a school record 17 straight games at one point. Uh, he coached another All-American that year, and during the 2019 season, Coach Deegan became the program's career leader in wins. 2021, the team finished 27-13, and won another conference championship that year, and advanced to the NCAA Regional Finals one game away from going to the Division Three World Series. Coach Deegan was again named Conference Coach of the Year for the third time. In his time at Denison, he's compiled a record of 197 wins to 106 losses. He was inducted into the Marietta Athletics Hall of Fame in 2018, as well as the Pennsylvania Athletics Hall of Fame in 2019. He is also the owner of a website, CoachMikeDeegan.com, which is an online leadership website that offers leadership courses, a weekly newsletter, a blog, and also it's one of the places you can find his book, which is called Let It Rip, Life Lessons Learned Through Sports. Coach Deegan, thank you so very much for being on the podcast with us today. Jeff, thanks for having me on. This is, uh... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Excited to sit down and talk. So I typically like to start with something from the bio that stands out. And what stands out to me People that listen to our podcast enough know that I really like talking with guys that win, and it's something that you've done a lot in your career. Uh, I want to go back to your time at Marietta uh, as a player and, and then as a coach. Obviously, as a coach, there are nine seasons of the team. You were on a team that won three national championships, and you went right from winning a national championship to taking over your first head coaching job. 
So I want to kind of go back to um, 2011, 2012. You're finishing up your time at Marietta. Uh, obviously, again, one of the one of the most successful, uh, you know, nine season, nine straight seasons that you could have as a at a, at a college program. And I want to go back to that time and just kind of talk about what you learned at your time at Marietta to prepare you for becoming the head coach at Denison University. Well, you know, I think, um, you know, when you're thinking about Marietta and you reference it, I mean, it's, uh, it's just good of a baseball school. And I, and I, I mean, I'll, I'll throw divisions out, out the window. And I, 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 and I say that with, um, with the ultimate humility, but just talking to baseball people and in collegiate baseball, even pro ball, um, the name Marietta is, is, is synonymous with just being a, a first class organization. And I think, you know, when you're at Marietta, I didn't know when I went there as a player, um, I didn't know. I knew how, I knew the winning, I knew the success, but I didn't know just how, I, I was getting a, an, an apprenticeship, basically, you know, on, on how to run a great program. And so as a, as a player, it was one thing. I, I think you take for granted just how it's run um, because that's kind of all you know. But then as coach you know you get behind the hood you get underneath the hood a little bit you get to see um the ins and outs of what it takes to run an elite organization and and i think you can throw out baseball and just think of that as an organization from attention to detail um how you go about uh trying to, to to be the very very best is something you can't read in a book it's something that you know you can have all the informal conversations you want but to actually be immersed in that type of culture is something that I'll always cherish. And I, and like I said, I say that with humility because it wasn't something I sought out. It was something that I was, that I was given. And I think from there, um, once you've been given that you want to, you want to give it to others, uh, because it's a different way to operate than most people are able to do. And so I think when I reflect on my time in Marietta, that that's what it is. It's, it's a peek behind the curtain. It's a, it's a lift under the hood of just what, what a special organization is. Once you got to Denison, things ended up happening pretty quickly for you guys uh, as far as the success that you had there. But you've been there for a long time now. You're going into your 10th year. Can you talk a little bit about how you've changed as a head coach from when you first started until today? Maybe whether that's philosophically or whether it's uh, just how you approach players or, or what your goals are from year to year or you know whatever it may be, Coach Deegan. Uh, can you just talk about how you've changed it, if you have? Uh, as a head coach in your time at Denison? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, uh, growth and development are really important to me. It's, you know, uh, one of my 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 life's um, my life's ethos or is, is based around the, the word Kaizen, which is continuous and never-ending improvement. It's a hallmark of our program, but it's, it's also my personal life philosophy. So, uh, you know, you always want to improve and grow. And if I were to just, you know, as you ask that question, I'm kind of reflecting, for me, a lot of it is just kind of coming into my own and trying to be the most authentic, best version of myself. Um, I think when you play at Marietta, and I played for a legend in Coach Don Shally and worked under Coach Brewer, who will be a you know he'll be an ABCA Hall of Famer himself. Um, they they had a different style. I mean, Coach was Coach Shally was uh, you know from from the, the the era of like World War II, where very military like and very disciplined and structured and coach brewer had it has his story you know he's from inner city baltimore tough and rugged and um and i honestly jeff i felt like 
I had to be like them in order to be successful. And I should have known better because when Coach Brewer hired me at Marietta, I remember mentioning this to him, and he said, I don't need you to be like me. I don't need you to be like Coach Shally. I just need you to be you. And uh, when I became a head coach, I mean, I, I think at first I felt like I had to be like them. And also we were trying to clean up a program as well. You know, we were also, you know, changing a culture and trying to, to get rid of some bad habits as well. So I was a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more trying to be like the mentors that I had. Um, I think as now as I evolved, I'm, I'm much more like myself. And I'm, I think I'm leading from a place now where um, I'm unapologetic about who I am. And that's someone who's trying to grow and develop still. But I also know I'm at my best with um, with trying to create really good relationships and trying to lean into those relationships. So um, I'm probably a little bit more vulnerable than I was when I first started. And, and um, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm proud of that. I, I think I'm proud of that. And I think the, the people that, that, that raised me in the game would be proud of that as well because they knew that I can only be as special of a coach and a, as a leader as I can be if I'm true to who, who, to my values and to who I am as a person. The website that you've got, Coach Deegan, was that um, something that, that you planned out for a long time, something you had thought about, or did it come as a result of just the education that you've got uh, about leadership and how important it is and you felt like it was something you needed to share? I'm, I'm interested just kind of how that ties in to who you are as a coach, what you've learned, and kind of what you just said, uh, you know, a little bit about your your growth as a head coach uh, and just as a coach in general, even from your days as an assistant coach. But where, uh, at what time did the website come about and, and what exactly led to it? Well, I appreciate you asking that because, I, honestly, it's gotten kind of lost over the years. It's, it's been by far the best thing I've done in my career, to be honest with you. It's just been it's been so impactful. The people that, that from writing and sharing – the people that I've been able to attract into my life are just, it, it's just, I can't really describe it. I mean, it's, it's been so special for me, but the origins of it, I, I it, it's, it had multiple layers. The first is I, I'm somebody who doesn't have a ton of hobbies. Um, I'm a 36 handicapper in golf. So you don't, you don't want to play with me. Um, you know, I, I don't enjoy, I don't enjoy that time hacking the ball, running the golf course. I, I really, um, I really run a baseball program, like to exercise and like to spend time with my family. And my wife would say, Hey, you need an outlet. Like you need, you need to get something out there. And we would watch games and things. And she said, you have all these like really interesting things you say during a game. You ought to start writing. So that was like really the, one of the first main uh, uh, impetus to making me write was my wife saying, Hey, you ought to just get some of that stuff out of your head and on the paper. Um, and then there's also, there's also things like this. I, you know, Denison's a national school, and I, we were starting to, you know, have get get right to the into the years where we were raising children. You know, we have four young kids, and and I probably started to write when we had two. But I knew I wasn't going to be able to, to travel and be the road warrior that I was um, as an assistant coach. So writing also was a way for me to get my thoughts and ideas out there. And by hitting send, it goes into the world. And and I think it was it's also a recruiting platform because. Uh, one, people get to know, you know, who I am a little bit. That's one thing. But also, I think more importantly, is they know where where I stand on certain issues. I mean, I think you can't read my stuff without knowing that Dennis is going to be a very team-centric organization, right? It's not going to be a place where, if you know, it's, it's not about the individual and flair and that type of thing. It's about us trying to share a common purpose and grow together. So it was a recruiting tool as well. 
And I think ultimately what it is, Jeff, is it's a place where I can flush ideas out. I have all this stuff in my mind, but writing forces me to to put a framework behind it and then sharing it. uh, I get the knowledge and the expertise of all those people who read and then give me feedback. It it keeps um, helping me shape and formulate ideas that I never would have had. So um, for all those reasons, and then lastly, I would say it's, it's it's my way of helping. You know, it's my way of staying connected with people that I've met in my life over the years, and it's it's a way to share some of the the gifts that I've been given. Like I said, the gifts by just being exposed to really cool things and being able to share that with people that may not have the fortune that I have that, to encounter those things. So all those reasons, you know, you have a website, and it's um, like I, I'll, I'll I'll end with where I started with this question. It's just been the, the most um, beneficial thing that I've done for myself professionally is sharing um, those newsletters. When you're writing your, your newsletters and um, you're sharing things about yourself, I don't know if this is a, a good question or not to ask, but are, are you so mu- are you as much doing it for yourself? Uh, as in sort of a cathartic way as, as you are to trying to reach other people? Like, are these things that you feel like you need to get out and you just, um, you know, you, you almost feel better, almost a therapeutic feel to, to writing? Or is this something that you're doing because you think that there are, there's, these are important things that you just, um, that you need to share with other people in order, you know, for them to have the same growth experience that, that you've had? It, it's, it's actually, you know, you said, it, you know, if it's a good question, it's actually a great question. And it's also it's often sometimes one where it gets misrepresented. I I I write for for I write by, by, for what's on my mind, right? And, and what I'm trying to flush out. And I just it's a gift and a curse. I have a mind that doesn't shut off. Um, you know, when I watch sporting events or or whatever, when I watch any television show or when I read, I'm I'm constantly trying to think how it can make our program better, um, how it can make other people's lives better. So. I have that mind that's working like that. And then when I write, it's just for me to flush things out and to try to put a framework around things. And so I write for that reason alone. I don't really write to help others. And, you know, I've had people say that, you know, like the quote unquote haters will say that I, I, you know, I trying to tell people how to live or whatever. That's like the furthest thing from it. If you read anything I write, usually it's just me grappling with, uh, you know, ideas and, uh, and I'm trying to figure, figure out my stance on things. And like I said, by sharing it, you just open up and you get the expertise of others. And that's, what's been really cool for me. But yeah, it's, I, I Jeff, I, 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 I don't claim to know anything. I just claim to be someone who's curious and that's trying to figure things out and writing's my way of flushing a lot of that out for myself. Today's podcast is brought to you by Diamond Kinetics. No matter what season you're in, our friends at Diamond Kinetics are here to help you train smarter, get better, and so you can dominate on the field this season. DK's line of mobile-based motion technology products give players and coaches the ability to practice smarter, practice more effectively, and have more confidence in the box and on the mound. DK's pitch tracker, smart baseball, and mobile app provide easy-to-understand data metrics, and pitching analysis right at your fingertips. You'll immediately see velocity, spin rate, and spin direction on all of your pitches. And newly updated features such as auto pitch detection, plus newly added metrics such as spin efficiency and horizontal and vertical break, 
help you to get command and control over your entire arsenal of pitches. With Diamond Kinetics, you will train smarter and get better and have more confidence on the field this season. Coach Deegan, um, the, the website is something I'm really interested in. I don't mean to spend so much, you know, too much time on that during the podcast, but it's something I, I really am interested in, especially the online, uh, the, the leadership courses that you offer. Can you give people, not to make this a commercial or anything, but can you just kind of tell people what the leadership uh, courses are about, who they're for? Uh, are they for teams? Are they for individuals? Is it, is it just, you know, for coaches? Uh, just kind of curious of, you know, for you to give sort of a synopsis of what people could expect there if they're curious about it and would like to check it out. Yeah, I, I always, um, you know, I, I always, I have a friend that says I'm allergic to money, so um, I, I have a tough time uh, selling things. But what, what I, what I, what you find on the website is there's different buckets, right? You have, I, I don't even know what it is now. It's probably close to 200 articles that are free that, and, and they're they're based around a few different buckets. Uh, you know, leadership, professional development, um, you know, uh, sports parenting, right. As a, as a parent myself and as a coach, as a, as a, as what I do for a living, um, there's a certain expertise expertise there as well. So you have buckets there that, that you can navigate for free. Um, then there's also the book on there as well. My book that, you know, you, there's a link to, to the amazon.com, which, you know, is, is a good time for a good stocking stuffer. And then the leadership courses that, that I've worked with, and I partnered with a, a group called ClearLearn, um, which we're trying to provide for, affordable education for people. So the, the courses that I have, I have one on culture development. Um, you know, the, the people that have bought it are everyone from Fortune 500 companies to, to high school coaches. But it just gives a framework on how we went about trying to develop culture. And, and culture is a bit of a buzzword. And I know people cringe when they hear it, but to me, it's, it's really trying to create an environment where pe- where your people can thrive. Um, so there's a course on, on culture, and then there's also a course on people development. Uh, people development, to me, is the, it's the greatest competitive advantage out there. It's, it's how can you scale the people within your organization? How can you create environments where they're able to flourish, and then it also helps the bottom line of your company? So those are the two courses, and like I said, it really runs the gamut. It's I think there's always going to be a, a, a sports-centric theme to it, but so many of the companies that I work with and interface with, there's there's a lot of ex-athletes within those organizations, and it really resonates with them. Um, so, yeah, you get on the website, there's there's free content, there's cheap content, which is the book, and then there's the course, which is a little bit more expensive but, but affordable as well. And I think it's just my way of, once again, trying to give back um, and trying to share the things that I've learned over the years. And the subtitle of the book is Life Lessons Learned Through Sports. And I think anybody that spent any time coaching appreciates that that aspect of sports, just what you're learning uh, through these sports. And and not to go off on another uh, rabbit hole here, but uh, I've been in a conversation the last couple of days on social media with uh, you know one guy who's uh, pretty pretty well known, pretty well followed on social media who, who said he can't think of one good reason why high school athletes who want to play a certain sport in college would play any other sport, uh, you know, why they'd be a two or three sport athlete in, in high school. Um, you know, I had my thoughts and feelings about that, but I'd like to ask you, cause I'm not, you know, I'm not here to, uh, to present my feelings and thoughts so much as you, but you as a, as a college baseball coach, what would you say to uh, a high school athlete who is a multi-sport athlete wants to play baseball in college, you know, would you encourage that guy to play more than one sport? Do you think that they're, um, 
should they should they at some point focus just on baseball or or are there times for for doing both of those things just curious with you know you and, and someone who's had as much success as you've had what your what your take is on that situation because i know that's i think it's becoming more and more uh of a of a debated topic in high school sports these days well, well I, I can uh i can give you without without seeing that that your your answer i can just give you my 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 gut response and and not really take sides on it um I, i'll just say this um i don't believe in one one size fits all for anything for you know what i mean like I, I I don't say you know every kid should play as many sports as you possibly can, um, or for this kid you should just specialize. Like I don't I don't live in that world. Like I, I do believe in a gray when it comes to a lot of this. So, but where I am pretty passionate about Jeff is I I am concerned if if you were to ask me and, and I'm in the minority on this, I do worry that our games become so future focused, uh, meaning what are you doing to get to next level, whatever next level that may be. That next level keeps moving up and up and up. As a as a parent of young kids right now, I hear it. I'll I'll hear that you know the rec the rec league isn't good enough for if they want to play ball as they get older. And then what travel organization is best going to prepare them for high school? And then when they get to high school, it's like okay, I don't want to play injured ever because the next I want to get. It's more important for me to be ready for college. And then they get to college, in college. I'm so worried about that college is okay, but if I do this, it won't prepare me for pro ball. And really when I hear that, I really hear people that aren't focused in the present moment and they get robbed of like really special opportunities. So this isn't a moral high horse stance. It's more just a reflection of, um, you know, there's, there's special moments playing high school football. I like, I like basketball a heck of a lot more than I like baseball in high school. I was, I was much more involved in basketball than I was, baseball um and i value that time i also value my high school baseball experience i value summer baseball experience so i just worry that there's such a focus on the future that just go really enjoy now um, i i will say if you're a really good athlete you'll have a shot you know and and i and i get it i mean i'm part of the problem college coaches we want certain metrics right like we we want that but if, if there's a really good mover and a really good athlete, I mean, I think it's our job in college is to try to develop them and make them into really good college players. But on the same token, I also have respect for a kid who's at a, a high school with 5,000 kids. And, you know, people say play multiple sports, but it's really, really hard to make your high school baseball team. And it may require more individual time spent on that. But what I will say, whether it's, it's in an organizational multi-sport athlete or whether it's just being someone who goes and plays pickup hoops, there is definitely cross-training benefits that I think are hard to argue. You know that that you know playing baseball year-round probably isn't the best thing for your development. Meaning, you know, and I don't mean like I said, even playing high school basketball, or high school football, or high school soccer, or whatever. But playing pickup hoops or playing rec hoops is going to help you in some way. Um, so more than I have a stance on multi-sport versus specializing i'm i more have a stance on try to enjoy the moment like you, you know you can't get that time back and the next level isn't always better I, it's not i i've been fortunate to to coach a lot of guys who've been able to play pro ball and they don't love their pro experience it's not it's not like you get the pro ball and like the whole world it opens up and it's the best thing ever um so just enjoy where you are and be really good where you are and 
and see where it takes you. You know, I, I, I work from this, this lens and I, I apologize for the rant, but you're not going to the big leagues. You're not, you're, you're not playing in the NBA and you can push back and, and say that maybe you are, but th- those people are unicorns. And if it so happens to be you, then awesome. But so many people lose special moments trying to chase something that, that really doesn't exist for 99.9% of the population. So just go enjoy your experience. Try to be a great teammate. Enjoy all the beautiful things that sports can provide, and then just see what happens. So I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question or not, but that's just where I am at with this, with this subject. Well, I think it gives people a really great idea of, you know, just where the focus should be. I, I really like how you said that so much, and I, I'm, I don't know if it's this way in other sports or not. Obviously, I'm, I'm much more involved in baseball, but you're right. In baseball, it's always like, instead of focusing on where you are now, it's kind of what can I do now to get me to the next level? And you're right. Kids are, in, in my opinion, it's, it's not just kids, kids, families, coaches are worried about other things other than what's right in front of you. And one of the big um, disappointments to me is the, is when people, you know, got, kids don't um, put all their effort into where they are right now because of something coming up. And just one quick example of that is I went to scout a player once I'm an associate scout uh, and I go see games in my area and I, there was a high school player that I was kind of following. And, um, he, uh, at one point held himself out of a game or, 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 or told his coach he had to be on a certain pitch count in a playoff game, I should say, because he had a, this is like on a Tuesday or Wednesday game because he had a showcase coming up on Saturday and needed to be fresh for that. Meanwhile, his, his team, which he was a single A team. He was by far the best player on that team. And, uh, you know, he was only going to pitch two or three innings that day because he had to be fresh for his showcase on the weekend. And, and that's where I just, I kind of, uh, grit my teeth sometimes. Um, you know, I, I wish people sometimes would focus just more on what's right in front of them. No, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity that you're going to, you know, if you don't end up playing in the big leagues for a long time, this could be one of your best moments of your life and you're missing it because you're focused on what else is coming. When I, when I hear that, you know, when I hear you, you tell that story about the player, I, I it reminds me just for me right now. I, I hate to say this, but I don't always love going to watch games um, because, and I think it's because it's become baseball's become a very internal sport, very individualized, where you know the result of the game almost doesn't matter. It's more about what did I do? You know, did I go three for four? Did I pitch well? And by pitch well, a lot of times it's did I hit a velocity number, a goal? Um, so it, it's really become individualized. And in my opinion, you know, baseball is at its purest, at its best when it's a, when it's a collective. And so in our recruiting talk, I, I, that's where I spent a lot of my time is talking about here we're going to play it and play to win. And uh, to me, the the lowest hanging fruit when we get kids that come on campus now is teaching them how to play winning baseball because there's such a gap there, because it is such an individualized game, and it takes some rewiring. Because when they call home, what's the first thing people ask? You know, how'd you do today? And the answer is usually, I want two for four. But it's, it's not about the wins and loss. And so that's what we're trying to rewire and make it about the team and, and not so much the individual. Because I'll be the first to say it. I think baseball is very boring if it's just all about you. I really do. So, anyway, that's my two cents. It's a, it's a, good, it's a good two cents. So you, you have that issue um, generally speaking in youth baseball, but then they come to a program like yours. And I really like to talk with coaches who run good programs, who have a lot of success, because obviously there's a lot of things that are, that are going right. 
And, and those are the, some conversations I really enjoy having. So what do you do, Coach Deegan? What is the plan? What's the what's the process to get the players when they come in and, and they it's been sort of ingrained in them that they are the most important thing. Their performance is what matters the most. As you said, you, you call home and or you know call grandma and grandpa after a game and hey, how did you do? Oh, I went two for three. Hey, it's a good game. You know, how do you get it from that to to focusing on the team uh, and and what an individual can do? Because I mean, baseball is a funny game because it is a very individual team sport. Meaning you have a, you have a one on one competition every pitch, right? But at the end of the day, it, it is about the team and you only your individual successes are only important if they lead to a team win how do you change the mindset of these players once they get on your campus obviously what you're doing is working because uh, of the you know the wins and loss column that and what you've put together in your career there so you've obviously you, you've you've got something that's working there do you mind kind of sharing what your process is with the players once they get on campus with you yeah i, I would say so, so first of all, I, I don't want to make it sound like we haven't figured out because we don't, but it, it, it's a daily fight. So I think anybody, any coach who's listening knows that this is a fight every single day. Uh, but I, I will go back to, to the newsletter, and I don't mean to uh, – that's not a plug, but we, we start by, by trying to attract the right people first. Me, so uh, to me, it, it starts even before they arrive on campus. It, there's a filtering process that needs to take place. Now, I'm not saying everyone we, we uh, enroll here is going to have that selfless mindset, but I think a lot of people, you know, when they do a little research on our program and on us, they're going to they're gonna see these things right away. Um, they're going to hear about it when we recruit them. I, I go, like, I, I don't have any problem saying it. I go on a soapbox about how, you know, at, at our level, everyone comes to us with a hitting coach, a pitching coach, a strength coach. Like, everyone has that now. Um, to us, the lowest hanging fruit is to teach people how to play winning baseball. So that all starts before they arrive. Now, we talk in our fall, so in Division Three, we're, we're limited on our, our exposure to our athletes, the amount of days we have. So the majority of, of times, the days that we have with our guys, we play. Like, we play baseball. We play baseball with the scoreboard on. We play to, to win and to compete. Now, we do that within a developmental structure. So um, almost all of our, our teaching, coaching, development is going to be through the game play. That's that's how how we feel like that's um, the quickest ticket to, to teaching winning baseball is through actually playing baseball. Um, so uh, we almost look at hitting coaches, pitching coaches, etc. They're almost like subcontractors of ours now. I'm no longer like when I played the the, the coaching staff in college was the, they were the experts on the mechanics and things like that. I'll be the first to admit, Jeff, I'm, we're not. Like uh, Our pitching coach is pretty elite, so I'll keep him out of it. But but myself, I'm not. Like I'm not that person. Um, so it, it's it's now just can we teach them how to play? And, and I think for us it's, 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 you know, to go back to that buzzword of culture, but I think our, our older guys believe in it. They believe in what we're doing, and they believe that's, that's the, most, the best way to play with joy. But it is a fight, and, and you nailed it. I mean, there is an individual component to all this. And I'd be lying if I if I said that, you know, we don't all want to go four for four or we all don't want to, you know, be the Friday night starter. But if we if you can get people to buy into a team concept, I do think that's the sweet spot. And, and it's something that we're fighting for on a daily basis to try to create that environment where it is about us. And my last thing about this, and I'm sorry for being long-winded on this, but I, I do think in good programs, you'll realize that the star rotates, um, you know, so the person, you know, you go, you go three for three, but you hit two dribblers through the five, six hole 
and you can't run, it's not really that valuable. But if you can be a guy that, that has a tool, like a pinch run tool, and you come in late and steal a base, like that, that guy provides a lot of value to the program. So um, it's really trying to celebrate everybody in all their unique ways that they can add value to a team is what we really try to focus on. And that story is something that I think gets lost in amateur uh, baseball a lot because of the way that pro baseball has progressed. And, and you and I talked about a little bit about the pro game before we started recording here. Um, and in pro baseball, you know, whether you like it or, or hate it or, or you agree with it or disagree with it, you know, the, uh, you know, Major League Baseball has become a lot about, you know, strikeouts and home runs on, on, on either side of the ball. And but it, but college baseball is still to me uh, – if I can say this a little more of, of a pure form of the game where, where uh, like you said, a guy can, a guy that can come off the bench and play really good defense is very valuable to a college program. A guy that can come off the bench and steal a base is very valuable. A guy who's, you know, maybe has one or two really good tools and those aren't big time velocity or a great secondary pitch or, you know, plus power or whatever it may be. You can still have other tools and, and be very, very valuable to college level, whether it's just a pure, hit tool where you've got a really high batting average and, and not a lot of slugging like that's really valuable or a guy that can really run that uh that is good with a short game and and maybe it's a left-handed hitter who who still does hit ground balls in the uh in the five six hole and and finds a way to get on base then he's still second then he steals third that stuff is super valuable in college baseball whereas a lot of that stuff has lost value at the pro level so i, I want to talk to you a little bit about now recruiting coach you you've kind of um you know we've, we've been sort of leading up to this for the last couple questions and I want to talk to you about recruiting and, and how it's done within your program and, and how you go about getting the right kids during the recruiting process are there certain things that you and your assistant coaches are looking for on the road are there uh, you know when you're when you're physically watching a game are there certain tools uh, that that you're looking for specifically are there things during the recruiting process you know during conversations or on visits how do you all go about narrowing down and, and you can start um you know, as general as you want or even with, with physical traits, because I think that's part of this is people want to know, okay, a really good division three program, what kind of, you know, physical tools, what kind of athletes are you recruiting? Maybe, maybe you start there uh, if you want to, and then, and then maybe narrow it down to how you get quote unquote, the right kind of person, the right kid, the right, um, the right fit for your culture. And, and I love the long winded answer. So don't, don't be apologetic for that. This is, I'm probably setting you up for another one here, but can you talk about the recruiting process and just how you guys go about trying to get the right kids uh, for your program on campus and eventually on your team. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, you, you said it. I mean, I think it has to. Um, it, there, there's two things that, that there's that there there um, you, you have to have these two things. Uh, one, there, there has to be a, there has to be a certain talent level, right? Like, like I'd be lying, right? I would be lying through my teeth if I said it was all about character and hustle and and toughness and things like that because. Uh, you know, we're trying to compete on a national level, so you have to have a certain skill set that plays at a national level. Now that now that's going to look that that's going to look in in a million different ways, and we could do our own show on that, like what that could be, right? Because it's not just you know uh, you know a ninety mile an hour arm, which at our level, you know, you, you need you need a guy or two at the top of that rotation that's a fringy pro guy. Like if you're going to win, if you're going to win at the highest level here. Most teams are going to have a guy or two that that doesn't belong there, right? So there's got to be there's going to be certain certain uh, measurables like that. But look, there's there's a million different ways. Though. That's just the outlier. But there's also 
you know, you talk about arms, there's also the guys that are that are unique and they have a unique delivery, delivery and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, pitching-wise, we say, you know, the, the ability to compete in the zone, the ability to hold runners and fill your position. Like, those are, like, three things that always play. Um, and, and, like I said, you got to have a certain stuff that, that's, that's going to be recruitable for us in, in, in some way, shape, or form. And then for us, at, being an academic school, you have to have a certain grade. Grades, um, you know, for us, it's you know someone in that in that three five range GPA wise that takes good classes, and they really value education because if those they they have to have a value of the education or this won't be a good fit. So those are kind of your your barriers to entry. You got to be talented and you got to want to get a great education. And then from there, there's just all these unique things that, that we try to we try to look for. I mean, I think one is 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 a winner. I think there's some something about people who who um, play on great teams uh, and, and have been around really good programs, whether that's – and that's where your multi-sports things can come up. I mean, we're super excited about a few guys that we have coming in that are still playing playing in state final fours in football. And, uh, to me, that's that's transferable. You know what it's like to be a part of something bigger than yourself. And the two guys that I'm referring to aren't, aren't star players on their football team, but they also know how to play a role, you know, and I think that's really, really, really valuable. So we talk about the winner's pathway. We want – we want guys who, you know, have been around successful programs and and um, who, who want to continue to try to be around successful programs, even outside of Denison. When we when they play in the summer, we want them to try to be on teams where they're helping their team win and not just, you know, not just playing to get their at-bats or to get their innings. We want them to be a part of something where they're trying to win and help a team achieve high success. And then I think other other little um, nugget is that, you know, we, we, love, we love great teammates and and that can look in all different shapes and forms. I'm not always talking about the guy who, who um, you know, is, is just over the top playing with joy. That's great as well. But to acknowledge teammate success, I mean, that, that to us is, is so value and valuable and so unique right now. And then I would say the last thing, I kind of glossed over it, but we do like kids who play with a certain level of joy. You know, we don't want guys who look like they're going to the dental chair when they're playing baseball. Um, they like being there. They like being around the game because I think what you'll find in college, even at the Division three level, and I hate to even say even at the Division three level because that, that kind of marginalizes, minimizes the, the talent that's at this level. But you're going to spend a lot of time doing it. And I've gotten to a point in my career, Jeff, where having four young kids will be around people who enjoy it. Um, and so if you don't like playing baseball, if it's hard for you, like it's, it's probably not going to be a good fit for us. Because, um, like I said, we spend more time with kids than other people's kids than we do with our own. So we just want to have an enjoyable experience with the coaching staff. That may sound selfish, but I'm just at a point in my career that's that's where you know where I, where I want to go. So um, yeah, it's, it's it's all those things: talent, grades, being a great teammate, being a winner, you know, playing with joy, and just being someone that we want to be around is, is really really important to us. And then there's so many layers to that. I think one, I would say, if we had any kind of secret nugget is that we try to be as transparent and vulnerable and as authentic as we can be in the recruiting process. And then what has happened over time is we've attracted people who want a similar experience. I tell everybody that I sit across from, everything I say isn't right. It's not, it's not like the only way to do this, but it's the way that we kind of do it. And so you, you have to get on board with the way we're doing this or this wouldn't be a good fit for you or for us. I want to ask you a couple other recruiting questions, just something that kind of came to mind. And 
I refer to social media a lot, maybe too much, but um, I think that's how a lot of people get a lot of information. I think that's how a lot of, especially in the baseball world, um, and I think it's how a lot of people formulate opinions about various things, whether it's the next level of baseball or recruiting or, or whatever. I know that there was one, uh, at one point I read something on social media about, and I didn't agree with how the coach went about this. I, I felt like it was a coach kind of being on a soapbox that, that maybe wasn't warranted at the time. But a coach said something about uh, how he, he wouldn't recruit a player if the player, I don't know how it's phrased, but if a player throws a helmet, basically I'm crossing you off my list. You know, if you can't control your emotions, then this is, it's not going to work out for you. And this is another time where I, I sort of went to bat for the kid. And, and, of course, you don't know the situation, but I, I kind of said, you know, from my recruiting coordinator experience, I didn't mind a, a kid that threw a helmet for certain specific reasons. To me, like I, I would, I'd rather have a kid, you know, to your point about recruiting people that play with joy, I'd rather recruit somebody who, who pretty obviously cares about the results of the game. And, and obviously there, there are um, – degrees uh, to this or, or, or maybe it's situation specific, but, but I just want to kind of throw this question to you for a parent that might be listening to this or even a high school coach maybe has this kind of player and isn't quite sure what to do with it or how to handle it or whether that's something, you know, whether the, the passion that a player shows by, by getting frustrated, coming back to the dugout, throwing a glove if they, if they get pulled off the mound for a bad outing or, you know, a guy has a big situation in the game and doesn't come through and he's is upset about it. He feels like he left his team down, comes back in the dugout and kind of throws his helmet because frankly, you'll see that in big league games sometimes, especially in, in bigger situations when guys are frustrated. How do you as a college coach feel about a guy who, who shows that kind of emotion in the dugout? You know, obviously that's something that, uh, that you maybe isn't maybe the healthiest, the healthiest way to do things, or maybe something you might try to tweak a little bit or, or help a guy just to kind of, uh, you know, it, uh, figure some things out once it gets on campus. But generally speaking, recruiting wise, how do you feel about players that uh, that show that type of emotion in the game where they might throw a glove, throw a helmet, something like that, uh, when they don't come through in big situations or they just have a, a poor outing? Well, yeah, you know, you, you, I, you know, I, I don't know if it was my, my post, but I, I, uh, I got a lot of flack for this. I, I, get a lot of, I got a lot of love on there. So I, I, I will tell you, like, so I uh, – it, it became a quick way to get clicks on, on some – Crosses got off my list, right? Crossed him off my list, or saw saw mom give the kid a Gatorade, crossed him off the list, and and so I made a post one time where I said, uh, "Saw a kid throw his helmet, crossed him off my list," and I just wrote, "Just kidding." I actually thought, "Hey, I wonder what's wrong with the kid today?" You know, hopefully he's all right. You know, so and and so, anyways, it blew up. Like it blew up, and I had people taking shots at me, and I had, but I also had a people, a lot of people supporting it. Um, Look, look, we're all human, right? Um, and and so I don't want to condone some of the behavior because sometimes it's childish and petty and very selfish. Like it's like I, I, I always say, you got to earn the right to throw a glove, or you got to earn the right to throw a bat, right? Like um, I, I remember my senior my senior in high school in the national championship game, I got called out on a on a bang bang play, and for the first time in my life, I, I chucked the helmet. Um, I, I grew up with a father who didn't condone any of that kind of stuff. And I remember my head coach, Coach Shally, being the aggressive man that he is, came down and said, Mike, and he screamed. And I turned up, and I kind of like got out of my mind, and I looked over at him, and he goes, were you safe? And I said, yeah. And he went out, and he argued the call. Probably the coolest moment for me in my life, by the way, <laughs> to have that kind of support. Um, so, But that's a, that's a one-off, though, Jeff. You know what I mean? Like, that's a, 
that's a put my put my, however many years of playing sport on the line and getting caught out in a tough situation, right? Um, so that's that. So, but there's also the eight in the morning game where Billy wants to, to make it all about himself and throws his helmet. That's not good. So I, I, I don't tend to do that. You know, I, I tend to think that first of all, you know, the game should be played with a little bit of passion, and sometimes things are going to happen. Um, you know, I, 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 I like to think in our culture, our guys will take care of that. So we'll take a risk on a kid who's got some passion, some spunk, because it won't fly here. You know, we, we'll, we'll clean that up pretty quick, you know, that kind of behavior. Um, but it's, uh, it, it's just like, I hate to be wishy-washy, you know what I mean? Probably, probably like every answer for me, I don't think it's one size fits all. I don't, I don't like seeing kids do that in certain situations, especially young kids. But I also get it. I also get it. <laughs> If I've worked my tail off all year long and I get called out on a bad pitch and, and I'm competing, my brain's out, and, and it hurts in that moment, I may act out of character. And that shouldn't be a life sentence. But I also shouldn't do it on a regular basis, if that makes sense. So, um, yeah, to, to cross them off my list, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll take it, right? You chuck your helmet in, in, in the right situation, you can, you can stay on our list for something like that um, in the right way. I think it's a good answer, and I like asking these questions because I think, you know, I, I try to ask questions on this podcast that that real people out there have, that real parents have, that real high school coaches out there have. Like, if a high school coach is going to, maybe a high school coach has a player who he thinks belongs at the next level, and he's going to call Mike Deegan and say, "Hey, Mike, I've got a guy here I think can play for you." Um, you know, he's got this. He's got a little bit of an anger issue sometimes. He'll, he'll he's known to throw a helmet from time to time. Like I, I you know, I, I think that it's important for high school coaches to know how to approach that when they're talking to someone, because I I don't think that that necessarily means a guy can't play or or can't uh, uh, you know, can't compete and can't have success at the next level. But like you said, there's there's certainly situation specific, and uh, it's not something you want to see all the time. But it's maybe not something you mind seeing from time to time, especially in a in a big situation. Right. Well, and I would say this too, like, you know, for the coaches part of it, I would say don't, don't do what society thinks you should do. Um, and that's why like, you know, context is everything. And, and, you know, sometimes, you know, I don't, I don't want to get, you know, share too much, but you know, there, there are kids that have, um, you know, that have issues, you know, and, and um, they're struggling with things, you know, especially high school coaches, youth coaches. I mean, if the kids got, you know, mom and dad are fighting at home and, and there's some stuff going on, right? You know, sometimes baseball is your only outlet, and, and emotion can pour over there. So sometimes it's not about the game. It's not about the poor performance. It's They bought a lot of stuff up, and it came out in that moment. And so I just wouldn't do anything based off of what you think, um, you know, other people would think. You know, I, that's maybe one little thing that I've always learned is that, you know, every, the context is really important. And and there's a human behind that that, that player, and it, a lot of times it's a kid struggling and reeling, and there's bigger issues there. And sometimes baseball or basketball or football, or whatever, is their outlet. And sometimes just trying to put your arm around them and see and see what's up. Not maybe not in that moment. Maybe you have to make an example out of them and and, and dress them down for that behavior. But after the game, you say, "Hey, I've noticed this about you. You know what's what's really going on here? Like what's 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 really this can't just be about you striking out." And, and sometimes you can uncover some pretty special stuff there. And that's really what we're jo- our job as coaches is to, is to, to really care about our people and, and to humanize this process. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. A lot of times that, 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 that helmet throw is just it's just masking a bigger issue. And our job is to maybe help out if we can. This is great stuff. Um, 
I want to go back to the multi-sport athlete thing when it comes to recruiting. Uh, and not to focus on this conversation, but the conversation that I was having with um, another guy that I know and respect in the baseball world, and and this was a, a, a different guy made the post, and another guy and I were kind of going back and forth. And it wasn't like an argument. It was, it was a conversation. I mean, the other guy supported – basically supported the view of the original post and, and I was kind of, you know, giving my points of view, but part of the conversation there was, um, you know, if you really want to play baseball in college, for example, you should take some time, whether it's one year, two years, three years, and just focus on baseball to be as good as you can be. But I want to ask you again, as a college coach and, and a recruiter, a recruiter, uh, someone who was a very successful assistant coach, do you, do you lower your expectations a little bit? And I don't mean that in a negative way at all, but do you lower expectations a little bit for a guy that plays multiple sports compared to the player that plays baseball year round? So example, you see two guys that are pretty similar. Player A is a little bit more polished on the field, but both have really good athletic abilities. So player A who's a little bit better uh, on the field, a little more polished and, and a little more, um, you can see maybe he's 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 gotten lessons and he's a little more clean mechanically but you talk to his high school coach and high school coach says, yeah, for the last couple of years, he's just, he's been focusing on baseball, you know, year round trying to get to this point. Okay. That's great. He's there. He's, you know, he's, he's a good player. Player B on the other hand, you call the high school coach and he says, yeah, man, he's, I think he's a good baseball player. And I think he's going to be great when he focuses on baseball year round. Cause right now, you know, he's a wide receiver on the football team and he's, you know, he's a shooting guard in the basketball team. And, and I've only got him, you know, he only plays baseball for me in the spring. He plays a couple months in the summer. Then he's, you know, he's back into, into football. Um, do, do you have a little bit lower, um, a little bit of a lower bar for the guy that plays other sports, knowing that he, he probably shouldn't be quite as good because he's not playing all year round, but also you, do you feel like he can, he has a, a higher ceiling? Does that make sense? Do you, do you expect a little bit less from the high school player who's a multi-sport athlete, uh, as opposed to the guy who's playing year round when you're recruiting them? Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, so look, I, I think. I think a lot of his time of the year too. I mean, I think you know, you know, I, I would be lying if, if I would say that kids sometimes hurt themselves, maybe like in a showcase format, um, like where you know, guy tries to showcase in you know whatever November or December, and that's and that's a whole other topic, by the way. But anyways, he does that and uh, he's playing football, and now he just picked up a bat that day and went to the showcase. Right? He can he, he cannot look good and and and. You know, if I'm being completely honest, there's 100 guys there that day or whatever. You probably don't have time to, like, sift through everybody's backstory, right? So I'm trying to give you the most honest, transparent answer I can. So that could hurt you, right? So I think if I'm a parent, you know, I think being strategic about what events you go to and when you go is really, really important. So sometimes you think just going to an event is going to help you. But if you're not in good baseball shape, that could really impact you. Now, your larger question uh, you know, when I when I was listening into you there, Jeff, I was thinking about I have some friends that coach at you know mid majors in, in in the south, and they're from the north. And what they'll say is that in in the in the south, you get a much more polished baseball player because of the ability to play year round, um, et cetera, et cetera. But in the north, you get some guys that are that are stronger, better athletes, and they quite they haven't quite reached their ceiling yet baseball wise. And I think and you can look around at me. I think. You know, I, I don't want to. I don't want to speak for programs, but I can just speak through observation. But you can see some schools, even like Power Five, Top Ten programs, that have transitioned a little bit, and they're taking a lot of those guys from like New England that were multi-sport hockey players, etc., 
and they may have a bigger upside in college. So you, you'll see that. Um, but I think that's the job of the, of the college coaches really to, do you believe in your player development ability, you know, cause, uh, or do you want to finish product? Um, those are the questions that college coaches have to ask, their, ask themselves. And I don't know if there's a right answer for that, by the way. Like, we're not a pro organization. We have a four-year window. Pros have, you know, they're trying to get guys to the big league, which may you may be able to invest 10 years or eight years in their development. Where in college, you know, you may want some guys that can perform right away. So, once again, I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all, but I do think it's all part of the story. I can just speak for us. I think we like a little bit of that diamond-in-the-rough guy that, that um, for us, to, for them to, to quote unquote fall to our level, they're, they're, it's a little bit of the island of misfit toys. So if you find a kid that maybe has played three sports, and um, you know if they can get to where they just play one sport in college, they, they could take off. But I, I, but I've also seen guys, Jeff, that, that that have played one sport and specialized that still continue to grow and develop. So um, I'm I'm really all over the map with it. But I, I do think there is. There's definitely more potential with guys who haven't invested their whole career in the on the baseball only development side of things. Can I ask if there are any absolutes that you feel like you need to see either from pitchers or hitters um, in order to be able to recruit them? And maybe one example would be they have to have certain bat to ball skills, meaning when they're facing high school competition, they're not swinging and missing a lot as a hitter. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I mean, for <laughs> you never, I know, exactly. don't even know how other guys, how other guys feel, but that's something that that I was taught kind of yeah. early on, and, and I bought into, yeah. and, and then maybe on the mound, it's, you know, I don't know what it is for you on the mound, but are there certain absolutes that you feel like if a if a hitter doesn't have this, or a pitcher doesn't have this, or maybe it's like one of these two things, or whatever, but just again, just kind of trying to speak to parents, uh, or or athletes, or again, high school coaches that are trying to sell some players, uh, are are there certain absolutes for your program that you feel like you need to see? Uh, just as, as far as their baseball skills go uh, in order for them yeah. to be recruitable for Denison. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I, I, you know, and I'm not, I'm not trying to push on it. I, you can tell, and I'm not saying I'm just like my recruiting talk, Jeff, I'm laughing as I'm saying it, but I'm not saying I'm right with any of this. I, I'm, I'm, but I am more of a gray area guy. So I, I struggle with the word absolute, but I, I can tell you some things that we really, really value. And, and I can tell you some things that, that are going to make it tough. I think as a position player, athleticism, athleticism plays. Um, so a guy who can who can run and, and, and defend is going to get way more opportunities than the guy who can just hit. Now, where I say I struggle with that is I think high-level hitters are always in demand. And the kid that just left our program this past year was a first-team All-American. He was a hitter. Like, he could just flat-out hit. But but I think when you, can just, when you just have the one trick, like just being able to hit, like you better really be able to hit in college – and that's really hard to tell if that's going to if that's going to translate. Uh, but the ability to run and defend is is going to give you way more opportunities, and it's going to give us a much more um, give give us many more options on how we can get that young man onto the field someday, right? Like if they're just a first baseman, uh, it's tough, right? But if they're a shortstop and they get up the line at a sub four four, um, he, I think we got a shot, right? There's there's going to be a, a chance that, that that person can grow and develop and become an impact player for us. Um, so I would say that on the position player side, the athleticism is at a premium. On the pitching side of things, I, I, I don't like I, I, don't, I don't want to back off it because the stuff has to be there. But a guy who can, a guy who's effective at getting out at, at whatever level they're on, I think that plays up. 
Um, I think those guys have a chance of evolving at the next level, meaning while their stuff may not be great, if they have a habitual habit of getting hitters out, they tend to be able to get hitters out as they develop and grow and they get older. That may be by increasing stuff. I think the one thing that I think we've gotten better at in the game of baseball is developing guys, like not just Denison, but everywhere. Like we now know that, you know, there are ways to increase velocity and it's not through just weighted balls or or implements. Like that's one means to it. But uh, by creating better movers, because by creating stronger athletes, like we can increase stuff a little bit now. Now, and I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. I'm not saying we're going to take a guy who's 80 miles an hour and make them pitch in the big leagues at 97. I'm not saying that. But we can get their stuff a little bit better. But if they don't have that competitive spirit, and that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with getting guys out, if they lack that competitive spirit, I, I, I haven't figured out a way to, to increase that. Like that's, and, and maybe that's a flaw of me as a coach, Jeff. But I haven't been able to increase, increase that competitive fire, competitive spirit, the ability to win. Like I, I haven't, we don't have the formula for that. I think we do have somewhat of a formula. And I wouldn't say that's not like pixie dust, uh, but if they're willing to put the work in, I think they can become a better athlete and a better mover, which will translate to better velocity and better stuff. But I, I haven't found that recipe on the compete side, if that makes any sense at all. It does, and I loved how you just said with pitchers that it's the ability to get outs. That's something that I used to talk about a lot as a recruiting coordinator myself. And it seems like so simple that it seems too simple. It's like one of those things, well, like, no kidding, he's a pitcher. Of course he's trying to get outs. But but some guys just have a knack at it. And some guys, um, <laughs> I don't know if you ever use this term, but some guys I would term barrel finders, just meaning like their stuff looks really good and they throw really hard. But, man, does that guy get barreled a lot. Like he's he just gives up a lot of barrels. And no matter how, to me, like no matter as a – now I was a, a you know a hitting coach and a hitter, and I and for me when I'm evaluating pitchers, I, that's how I evaluate it a lot. Like you let the the hitter's feedback tell you how good this pitcher is. Like no matter what the radar gun's telling you or how sharp that slider looks, if he's getting hit a lot at the level that he's pitching currently, high school or travel ball, it's hard to imagine him missing more barrels when he goes to the next level. But at the same time, the guy that's not lighting things up and the stuff doesn't look that great, but he just he's missing bats. He's, you know, he's he's getting guys to hit balls off the handle, off the cap. He's getting rollovers. He's getting weak ground balls. Like, there's something like there, whether or not, you, you know, the – and, of course, now you guys probably have different tools to recruit than, uh, you know, the last time I coached in, in college was 2014, and we didn't have um, – you know, I wasn't going to tournaments where there was a Rapsodo set up most of the time and things like that, uh, and you didn't have a lot of metrics. Like, you couldn't go on a website and see what this guy's spin rate was for different pitches, but – that was a lot of times, you know, how I evaluated pitchers was just, you know, what, you know, what were good hitters doing against him uh, or bad hitters for that matter. If a bad hitter is barreling this guy up, that's, that's not a good sign. Yeah, that, that's it. You know, we, we, um, you know, and, and for us, like we, we're, we're not, you know, we're not going to get a guy who's 95 and, and the number one on his, on his high school team. And we're not going to get that kid. But what we get a lot, this is, this is kind of where, and this is what we did at Marietta too, in some ways, like we'll get the guy who, um, I, I, I won't, you know, use we, we one, of the, one of the best pitchers we've had here. Um, his, high, you know, he, he was on a, on a team with a power five guy, and his high school coach said to me, "I win one game, though. I'm going to go with the guy that ended up coming to us." You know, and and to me that says it all, right? Like that, like he didn't have quite the measurables, um, but he was the one that if you had to win one, like that's the guy you want to go with. And I and I say that all due respect to to the higher level guys because 
look, in order to, to get out to the Power 5 school, you're going to have to have a certain arsenal, right? Let's not kid ourselves. I don't want to make this, you know, you're, you you can't be 78 and survive in the NCC. Like, I don't, or, may, or, or I shouldn't say you can't. You would be in a major, 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 major outlier, right? Like, and so I don't blame those guys. Like, you have to have a certain stuff. But, uh, you know, you mentioned the Rap Soto and, and things like that. To me, those now become tools to for us to enhance that kid's profile once he gets here. Because we've had really good success with that where, okay, like, he, he may not test out great on some of those metrics, but we can manipulate grip. We can manipulate some arm slot stuff. We can do some things and get to, to where that machine – because th- those things are very effective, by the way. Like, those things don't lie either. That, that, you know, you can get you can get a guy's fastball out of the dead zone by, by doing some things, by using those tools, and that's where we use it. But I, I'll say – I'll go back to what I originally said, though. If they don't, if they don't have that compete, I, I, I haven't figured out a way to manipulate that. You, you, you get what I'm saying, Jeff? Like I – but, but we've, we've figured out a way to get a guy's fastball to not be so flat, or we've figured out a way, like, we figured that out, but if, if a guy doesn't know what it's like to have a runner on second base and, and chase the two from the catcher and have all the stuff that the game presents, if they can't handle that, that's tough for me to, that's tough for us to simulate um, and make them a better collegiate pitcher. Love of the game and the compete factor are, yeah, a couple things that I think are, are very, very tough, and not, like you said, it's not impossible, but it, they're they're outliers, guys that, that can sort of learn that stuff. You know, sometimes I think that there are some underlying things there. It's maybe the kind of culture that they were in uh, for their high school program, or, or maybe it's just the, the kind of environment they grew up in, and sometimes there's these guys get in a winning environment and realize, like, it's okay for me to be this way, and then they, they become maybe this player that they've been sort of suppressing. But, yeah, for the most part, the, the compete factor – and uh, and 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 the the competitiveness is not something you can necessarily coach. Sometimes a good environment will bring it out of guys, but you're like you said, I don't know that there's a, a specific formula to bring that out. Um, I'd like to just kind of finish up, Coach Deegan, with one one other question. And I like to I like to really dig into winning programs and, and see what's really underneath. I think we've talked about a lot of things that you guys do, but the one last question I want to ask you is just. If you could, if you could answer this, what what separates Denison from other programs? You know, everybody, everybody is recruiting, everybody is developing, everybody is out at the same types of events, uh, everybody's practicing the same amount of time, everybody's doing similar things at practice. You know, there aren't um, major major differences in most of those things with most programs. What do you? If you could point to one or two things, what are some things that Denison does differently from other programs? What what makes you guys different? At the end of the day, the most important factors for you to have the success that you've had and to continue to have that success going forward. Almost like if we stop doing this, or or, or we're not as good at this one one or two things, like we're we're not going to be nearly as good of a team as we are right now. Yeah. So first, first, I. I, I... Thank you for the compliment. It's it's hard for me to hear that. I almost cringe because I because I'm wired to think that we are not very good. Um, and 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 I would say that's um, that's part of what we do well. It's a gift and a curse once again. And I'm trying to do better with that. Trying to celebrate some of the small victories along the way. But 
think one, it's, it's, it's our obsession with improvement. Um, and, and by that, it's every aspect and every phase of our program. We're just trying to get better. And if I, you know, if, if, you, know, if you were to boil it down to how, how we kind of changed this program, turned it around, um, I would say, one, it started with attracting the right people, like getting the right people on board. And then it went from, from that to, to that development piece that I talked about earlier. And development for us is, is just being obsessed with every training session, every meeting, every weightlifting, every, you know, across the board, just how can we be better and how can we do it at a high level? And so people have asked me that question before. I would say, yeah, it's just, it's just how we train. You know, it's, I think we, we, I think we practice at a higher level than most people have. And, and that's, and that's getting, we're getting caught up to there. Like, I think the game is people are doing so much of a better job of that now, but I think that was a competitive advantage of ours for a long time is we just practiced really well. It didn't really matter what time of the year it was or what our record was. We were just, our practice had such focus and such attention on improvement. I think we kind of just started getting better over the years. And then lastly, I would say for us is um, maybe a differentiator for us is just our relationships. And I know that sounds a little bit like coach speak, but I think we care a lot about each other, you know, person to person, coach to player, player to coach. And and when I say relationships, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like it's always perfect. There are plenty of guys in our program just at this moment who aren't happy with me. Um, but I, I, I do think over the long run that we care a lot about each other you know, and, and we'll play hard for each other. We'll fight for each other. We care deeply about each other. And I think that's the one thing that I, that I try to hold on to. And, and, um, and that, and I use the word fight and it's something we fight for because it's a lot of this stuff is very uncommon as we've kind of talked about during this conversation. It's a very internal game right now, very individualized game. And that selfishness will creep in. And we've had years where it creeps in. But I will roll my sleeves up and fight for us to, to try to do this together and and to try to just become the best version of ourselves during this process. And that's that's really it. So I wish I had some glamorous, sexy answer to give you, but it was getting the right people on board. It's practicing like crazy and try to improve and then just caring a heck of a lot about each other. I would say maybe boils our program um, down in, in its growth. And, 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 I, and I don't think that'll change a whole lot as we can see try to move forward and become even better. It'll be about getting the right people. It'll be about getting better and about caring about each other at a really high level. Well, there might also be some hidden wisdom also when I, I uh, what you just kind of said at the beginning of that answer about how you just tend to feel like you're not very good. And that's that's been a, a theme that I've heard from other guys on this podcast as well who are really good, but always, um, you know, never feeling like you've arrived, never feeling like it's time to relax and, and just always sort of having this mindset of we need to get better at this, this, and this, I think is is a real key to to sustaining success. I think when there are programs out there that have success and then sort of fall off, whether, well, it's program or or an individual, um, I think that a lot of times leads to, to some more difficult times. Uh, Coach Deegan, this has been a, a really, really enjoyable podcast Uh I was excited to have you on for a number of reasons to talk about your website. I, I always like having coaches on who have a track record of winning and, and a long track record of winning, which you do. Uh, there were some things we didn't get into in the podcast that I was kind of hoping that we would, but this is, it, it was, it's been a very, very enjoyable time. The time has flown by. Uh, I want to personally thank you for coming on here. You have a lot of other things you could be doing at this time of year and to take you know time out of your day to join me here and, and have this conversation and to share all the things you've shared uh, it's really a special thing that Figured Out Baseball is able to do. If you haven't checked out the website, we've got hundreds and hundreds of free 
instructional videos, as well as several hundred free podcasts on the website. You can also find our videos and podcasts on YouTube for free, obviously. You can find our uh, our podcasts exclusively on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. We're, we're trying, with, with a goal here, figured out baseball, we're trying to uh, put as much content out there, like on your website, put it out there for free. Uh, once again, let me come and talk about Denison baseball and our program.